Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators and advisors discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors. Welcome to this week's episode of Leadership Conversations, a podcast hosted by the Sustainability Board Report, also known as TSBR. I am Helena Guyansdottir and I am here with Frederick Otto. Today we are joined with Patricia Rodriguez-Jenner, globally recognized expert in public-private partnerships and infrastructure financing, as part of our Future Ready Board series. Yes, Helena, and we really managed to squeeze a lot of content in today's episode. Very fascinating to hear from Patricia what the current state is of the energy transition and how that translates into accountability on the government side, on the public side, as well as on the private side. But also uh, we hear, uh, as always, the personal story of our guest and Patricia's background really is very inspirational. And this is a great episode to look forward to. What was your favorite part of the conversation? What were your main takeaways? Yeah, I have to agree with you. Patricia gives us a really thoughtful insight into her life, how her journey has shaped and changed. That also gives great weight to her expertise. As you've mentioned, we cover a lot of topics today, but my key takeaways that she shares is on infrastructure financing, how that's progressing, how current technologies are only getting us halfway to the target of net zero. She's in a unique position to share with us some insights into innovative climate technologies. And I think one of her biggest key things is that we need to focus on real estate and construction industry and the importance to decarbonize them faster than they are. And of course, as part of our Future Ready Board series, we touch upon ESG and the involvement of boards. Patricia stresses that ESG shouldn't be looked at individually. It should really be an ESG lens that applies to all board agendas and discussion topics. She also shares that Boards are actually becoming more equipped to oversee initiatives conducted by management on climate, net zero promises and so on. But Patricia does mention that, of course, it has to be a transition and we can't expect it to already be incorporated at all levels just yet. And what about you, Freddie? Was there any key takeaway for you? Oh, like you said, I was quite fascinated about the technology that's out there and what the state of it is. Usually when we think of the energy transition, we think of solar and wind, but there's a lot more to it, as you were just alluding to. And I'm absolutely fascinated by Patricia's calm about the topic as well. She does share some data points with us, which is very interesting. And as most experts in this field will attest, it's not looking too rosy in terms of how we are progressing towards not only net zero and keeping global temperature levels to 1.5, which now almost seems impossible. But again, uh, she's very calm about it and she describes very objectively what can be done and overall just a great leader to have on our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, without further ado, we can go to today's episode. Welcome to a new episode of Leadership Conversations. Today, we are thrilled to feature Patricia Rodriguez-Jenner. Patricia is an experienced non-executive board director with experience across infrastructure, real estate, private equity, and ESG investment. 
Patricia has dual ambitions of investing well and seeking to protect the planet led her to join in 2011 the UK government to help create the UK Green Investment Bank, the world's first green bank. Patricia currently serves as a non-executive board director at Legal and General Assurance Society Limited and the European renewables investment company AREF. Patricia is senior advisor and non-executive independent investment committee member at GLIL, a fund manager funded by pension plans to invest in UK infrastructure and Old Mutual's African Infrastructure Investment Fund. Patricia, I'm very happy for you to join us today. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me, Frederick. It's my pleasure. Currently, we are finding ourselves in a very uncertain time. We have a war raging in Ukraine. We have fossil fuel industries looking for ever new exploration. We have a shaky energy transition. We need more infrastructure investment and certainly public-private partnerships. You are uniquely placed today to talk to us about that, and we want to learn more how that affects boards and their ESG agendas. Before we dive in, Patricia, would you mind sharing a little bit with your audience what your background is and your story and what you currently focus on? Thank you. So a potted history about me. I'm the daughter of refugees from Angola who had lost everything in 75. And now I operate as a board non-executive director. And so allow me to fill in the gaps for you. I grew up in a blue-collar town in northern Portugal called Ovar. I studied environmental engineering. I loved how to address pollution. Already this is now three and a half decades ago. I excelled academically, and that's how I got a scholarship, to get out of Portugal and get a Cambridge PhD in engineering and science in Trinity College. So I kicked off my career in Morgan Stanley in London and then in Macquarie Bank. And I became, two decades ago, one of the few women investing in infrastructure and renewables. My deep expertise is therefore, Frederick, as you say, in infrastructure and renewables. That's really my bread and butter. And I'm proud to say that I helped found that first green bank. And there are many, many others now around the world. And I'm so proud to have been part of that from within the UK government. Nowadays, as a non-executive director, what I do is mostly apply what we call the ESG lens to all that I do and to all the boards and the committees. So the boards of Legal and General Assurance Society, ARIF, and the investment committees that I'm in, investing in infrastructure for the UK, infrastructure for the pension plans, and also for Africa, investing in African infrastructure, it's so important. Why do I do that? It's a desire to give back to the industry, to the planet, and to a better world with all the experience that I've assembled through my life, actually. I love what I do. I strive to be smarter and learn every day with a variety of teams and roles that I play and I work with and I'm inspired by. And I think a growth mindset is very important nowadays with all that is going on geopolitically, but also for the boards. Fantastic and very inspiring. In fact, you have vast experience in the investment space. You also used to work for Macquarie and for Morgan Stanley. Now, a couple of years ago or Perhaps almost a decade ago, the narrative developed around large asset managers to do more in terms of ESG advocacy and stewardship. And more lately now, we feel that uh, these asset managers are actually not being involved as much as they have potentially promised and that the climate change agenda is potentially not actually their main priority. So having said that, I would be really interested how that pertains to 
a successful energy transition that we certainly need to renewable energy. How is infrastructure financing progressing in general, as well as what are the milestones that we have surpassed or that we need to pay attention to? Very topical at the moment, indeed. This has been a topic that I've actually been dedicated for decades, but now it's really the momentum to discuss it and to invest. But first, for recapping for our audience, it's important to put it into context. I always like to look at numbers and put it into context. This is my engineering brain here. Two-thirds of global emissions come from energy, energy generation, energy consumption, energy wastage. Two-thirds of the emissions come from energy systems. And so here lies the heart of the challenge, and hence my focus, because I, I really like to be pragmatic as well. McKinsey estimates, when you think about what the asset managers should be investing, McKinsey estimates that the opportunity for energy investment, just to get us to net zero, is about 100 trillion. If we included all the systems, including land usage, industry, and so on, that's 275 trillion. We can look at it as a need or as an opportunity. I like to think about it as an opportunity, and hence, again, my focus and the ESG application that I do. The more interesting thing to know as well is that the current proven technologies like onshore wind, offshore wind, onshore solar, they'll only get us halfway to where we need to be by the net zero. So that's something to remember. So when you look at and you've asked the milestones that we have and how are we going in terms of deployment, the first phase in infrastructure is really investing and deployment in mass scale of what we already know, the proven technologies. And we've already started doing, and it's already been going on for the last decade. These decades, the deployment has ramped up, but we're very, very slow. So in terms of wind, we have to deploy it five times more in terms of the acceleration that we have to do. And in terms of solar, we have to deploy it eight times more than we are doing. So we are definitely going slow. And you are right to point out that the war of Ukraine, the geopolitical uh, challenges that we have at hand, put a break on this. But I would say COVID hasn't helped. Surprisingly, people think COVID helped. No, it hasn't, actually. And I would say the current cost of living crisis that we have is slowing it as well. So all of this in combination, we all have to come together and understand that this is slowing the pace of the infrastructure, deployment for the energy transition. And we're you know, getting, getting very close to the finishing line without getting there. The second phase of infrastructure deployment relates to the technologies that have not yet been proven. They're not yet commercial. Some have been proven, but they're not yet affordable. And so we're not able to deploy them in scale. So our efforts and our duty is to also help and dedicate some time to these new technologies and some capital to ensure that once they work, then they can be deployed scalable. I mean, as a former engineer and scientist, I always think that if something works, it can be scalable. We just need to make sure that it works rather than to waste money. Great. Would you be comfortable to project a scenario, a potential timeline of where we will be, say, in 10, 20 years' time or so? Well, actually, you know, there's a lot of scientists doing this modeling rather than myself, so I can relate to what they're saying. They're warning us that if we continue at the pace that we are and with all the commitments, we're only going to get to 2.8 to 3.2 degrees Celsius increase in temperature. But we're all talking about, oh, we're going to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Well, 1.5 degrees Celsius is that pivotal, critical milestone not to get into uh, disastrous scenarios. But currently, the scenario that we are going, if we continue as we are, is 2.8 to 3.2. So that's not inspiring, but I'm not depressed by it. I just think that just gives me a lot of energy and strength to say we have to ramp up our efforts. 
there is probably no questions having heard all of this that action is desperately needed. Now, let's talk about responsibility. We obviously have the government side and then we have the business side, private business, public business. In your eyes, how does the responsibility split and what should every player be doing now? My direct experience with the UK government, having been a civil servant and setting up the UK Green Investment Bank, actually shows that there's huge benefit in combining the public sector objectives, working together with the private sector. And many, many ways of doing so. It doesn't mean that the Green Investment Bank is the only way. Not at all. There are many ways. I was really amazed and energized by all the objectives that we have as public service and bringing then the private equity mindset and the private equity ways of doing things. Governments alone cannot plug the financing gaps that we have of, say, at least $3 trillion per annum of investment to get to net zero. They just can't. But they must facilitate it. That's a key role. And... Public sector needs to focus when, when investing on enabling capital for financing projects that wouldn't otherwise be financeable and focus on this concept that I love that the public sector has, which is additionality, not crawling out capital, but actually bringing and enabling much more capital. The investment gap that I'm currently seeing is on the development and the creation of assets. And that's because there's plenty of equity and I'm working with it and equity in that capital ready to deploy onto operational assets. That is, once the permitting, once the planning, the riskier phases have been through, but we are starving capital on, on the development stage. And why is that? Because governments still need, still need to create planning and regulatory frameworks that are clear, stable, and efficient, and that enable the private sector then to innovate and to finance all the infrastructure needed. And I don't think we should underestimate how much the planning uh, creates obstacles to private investment. And for example, I give you an example because everybody's familiar with this. We see the great trend to decarbonize the transport sector with electric vehicles. Tesla and so on, they've done massive in terms of accelerating the transport sector, which is corresponding to a lot of the, the emissions. But we're seeing laggards in the infrastructure for the electric vehicle charging. Just to put it in perspective, we need to accelerate 20 times the deployment of electric vehicle charging infrastructure and networks. So there I say that there, the public sector needs to put their heads together with the regulators and the private sector and say, what do we need to do to accelerate this? Because you guys in the private sector have developed electric vehicles. We believe this is coming, but the infrastructure is lagging. Thank you, Patricia. And considering all of this, business has to adopt a new strategy to a certain extent as well. I suppose it is a little bit dependent on the materiality of the business, whether you are in energy, transportation, or more in the services industry. I have a lot of conversations with board leaders and executive leaders around how the ESG and sustainability component is becoming an ever more important piece of the overall corporate strategy. So considering the need for this massive systematic change, what are the discussions that board members should be having now? You are a non-executive director as well. What is the agenda that you push on board level? I think that ESG shouldn't be looked at individually, but you should apply the ESG lens to all the board agenda and all the discussion topics of the boards. But two topics in particular to be thinking is, do each of the companies, each of the funds have their own net zero roadmap? And that's moving them from pledges to implementation. And two, are they doing the best that they can with what they have? 
that's generally a very good question to apply to all the boards. You are a pension plan, you are an insurer, you are an asset manager. Are you doing the best that you can with all the capital that you have? Deep diving a little bit more about the climate piece of the ESG agenda. Climate is becoming ever more important for policymakers as well, for businesses to report on that. Uh, the SEC obviously is drafting a new proposal on climate disclosure. Where do you think we are standing in that regard? And do you feel that boards are equipped enough to respond to these reporting requirements and have competent conversations around the climate change piece and how that affects their businesses? I think that initially there was a huge confusion in terms of standards and the proliferation of standards and the mixed alphabet that was going on that was getting a lot of confusion in there. But we are getting there with ISSB. There will be convergence on standards and reporting requirements. I'm not worried about that. And in fact, I see board members are getting more and more equipped themselves to oversee management's initiatives regarding the climate and net zero funds. For example, I'm a member of the Chapter Zero Network. That's a network for educational purposes of non-executive directors in terms of net zero ambitions. And I read recently that they have already 2,000 non-executive director members. That's a lot because it just started in 2019, I think, when I joined. So that's really encouraging. The other thing that I see is that many companies and boards are starting to have their ESG board committees or ESG management committees. I think that's a good step. My personal view is that it's a transition step because actually the ESG agenda needs to be throughout all the board agenda rather than to be delegated to a committee. But I understand it's a helpful step because it brings additional focus to the board. And in fact, I hear that many times those board committees actually have all the members of the boards. That's another question for governance, but something that you can explore further. But I think first and foremost, we can't forget that CEOs and senior executives need to believe and need to live and need to put in practice ESG. And if necessary, and I think they should, they should be incentivized accordingly because the boards cannot act in isolation. Yeah, thanks for that, Patricia. And I'm very glad you bring up Chapter Zero. We have many friends there and it's a fantastic organization and I can recommend to everybody to uh, look at their program and join them as well. They're great. Uh, as a second point, you were mentioning, obviously, the various setups from a corporate governance perspective. And here, I'm also reflecting on conversations that we have. There doesn't seem to be a right answer, to be fair. Every company has a different context. And whether you have a dedicated committee, and we here at the Sustainability Board Report are certainly advocates of that, but with a committed chair, for example, or with that embedded in a different committee, can also result in very good governance. There's no best practice per se. Every board really has to look at this individually. Great. Excellent. Now, I would like to pick your brains on new things, on innovation. You mentioned earlier that there's a lot of new technology in the climate space. Can you talk to us a little bit what's in the pipeline? What are the new big things coming up over the next couple of years or decades even? So I'm excited by, and I'm curious about, that the way we move around, the way we eat, the way we generate energy, it will all needs to change. And so as a former engineer and a curious scientist at heart that I am, and I will always be, I follow all the new technology you can imagine and developments with greatest interest. So green hydrogen, green methanol, floating wind, floating solar. In fact, I'm a mentor to a lot of these startups. Battery storage, carbon capture storage, direct air capture, smaller nuclear, and let's not forget cross-laminated timber construction. 
all of these need to play a role in the next decades, and they will all. Now, some to more extent than the others, and that's why some of them are not proven and they need to be proven in the next decade. But I'd say in a decade, they will all be proven and then applied in different scales. The one energy measure that is important not to forget is energy efficiency. And we started this with the Green Investment Bank a decade ago and didn't get much traction and continue not to get much traction. And that's something that I want to persevere and to help. We need to help and incentivize the real estate and the construction industry to decarbonize much faster than they are. Because, as I was mentioning earlier, it's a race against time, according to the IPCC, in terms of the levels that we are, in terms of where we are. I think about 4 billion of the population of the world, so half of the population lives in dangerous territories from a climate change, from a physical perspective. And I think it's important to picture what will be, in a few decades, cities like Jakarta, countries like Bangladesh, Vietnam, flooded. And what does that mean? If we think we have a crisis today with Ukraine, which is very sad and tragic, but what does that mean from that perspective with a massive, large forced migration and food shortages? So we need to push the construction and the building industry. And when you ask me about trends and things that we need to watch, some people might not like what I'm about to say, but IPCC considered recently for the last time, and I was really happy to see that, the role of behavioral change in reducing emissions including shifting diets. And I look forward to a world where governments have educated the public of the health benefits, not only for the planet, but of the health benefits of reducing animal protein and replacing inflammatory dairy and gluten. This is why I'm saying not many people like, I used to be a cheese and bread monster myself, but I stopped that. And that has positive consequences for my health and also for the environment. I really like that, Patricia. Because I think we are moving into a casual conversation more and more. Do you have an electric vehicle? If you are within the sustainability space, if you have your EV outside or your hybrid, which, which I think is fair enough, right? But even more impact would be, are you a vegetarian or are you vegan? Uh, I take a lot of uh, interest in the alternative protein and alternative foods industry myself. And it is difficult, shall we say, yes. but it also really has a lot of health benefits. So yes. thanks for that. I'm a great advocate for more plant-based food as well. Absolutely. Excellent. That was a fantastic synopsis, Patricia, of generally what's going on in infrastructure investment, what's going on in the energy transition. Obviously, we're just scratching the surface and we could talk much longer about this. But I do want to use the opportunity to ask you two questions that we're asking all of our guests in this podcast. And the first one is, what is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a big impact on either yourself or society at large? An impactful experience that I'd like to share with the audience and reflect on is when I joined in 2011, the former leaders, senior leaders of 3i, the UK private equity, Sir Edward Montague and Ian Nolan. We joined the UK government, the business ministry under Vince Cable in 2011 to set up what was to become the UK Green Investment Bank, the first world green bank. And what was so special about it was bringing their best practices from private equity and mine as well institutional standards together with the objective to serve the public and creating additionality of the capital, of the scarce resources of the UK government, and looking at the double and the triple bottom line. Those were terms that I didn't know from when coming from the private sector, but I learned them and now they are part of my DNA and they are part of their DNA. And today this organization, which will outlast us, 
has been privatized and is having a global impact under private ownership, but investing around the world. And I know that the UK government still maintains a close eye to ensure that they do what their purpose, the green purpose was. There's a green purpose company looking after that. More interestingly, in terms of thinking of additionality and the impact in the world is that I was reading that there are at least more than 30 green public institutions worldwide, a lot of in the States, but everywhere, and falling in, in the good steps of the UK Green Investment Bank. I just hope that they continue to combine the private equity mindset, the institutional standards to protect public sector capital, and really looking at the additionality that public sector can create. Fantastic. It really sounds like a trailblazing project that you were involved with there. And lastly, Patricia, we are after your piece of wisdom that will make the biggest difference to people. It might sound a little bit generic, but can you give our listeners one piece of advice that they can make part of their leadership toolkit and start applying immediately to set them up for more positive societal impact? Sure. I think it's important to keep in our minds that the future profitability depends on the long-term sustainability rather than to think of very short-term profits and returns. Business can help the world progress if we consistently apply what we call the ESG lens alongside and with as much the profit and the returns. So this is important. In terms of practical implementations, I think we touched on this before. How can we do this? I always considered in my boards and committees these two aspects. One is, what is the net zero roadmap? How are we going to move from all the pledges we've done to implementation? I'm a very pragmatic person, as you can figure out. And two, what is the societal impact? And are we doing the best that we can with, with our capital and our objectives? So my advice to the audience is apply your ESG lens to all the decisions that you are taking because the future profitability of the company, of the funds, of what you're involved, does depend on the long-term sustainability. Absolutely. Implementation is key. I'm with you on that one. We now know what it takes and we now really need to move forward bringing this to the systems that we operate in. Patricia, thank you ever so much. It was a great pleasure speaking to you today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org, and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.